Welcome to the Card Authority Podcast, where we talk all things trading cards, AFL, NBA, and more. We cover it all. Check out cardauthority.com.au for more information, news, and all our episodes. And now, this week's episode with your hosts, AJ and AJ. Welcome to the Card Authority Podcast, talking all things cardboard, and that is footy cards, NBA cards, you name it. AJ and AJ, otherwise known as AJ Squared. AJ, welcome to the show. Yeah, g'day AJ. Good to uh, good to be here with you this evening for our first ever episode of The Card Authority, where exactly as you said, what we're going to be doing is talking about everything sports trading cards. We'll focus pre- heavily on uh, some AFL, which is really big in our domestic scene in Australia right now. But uh, yeah, over the next few episodes, we're going to get right into the NBA stuff, MLB, everything that's going on. A lot of people have probably just seen a $4 million US dollar card today. Sold a baseball card, which is quite incredible. But uh, yeah, we'll be getting stuck into the AFL over the first couple of episodes and the lead up to dominance. Exactly right. And look, you know, as, as you mentioned before, we did see that card floating around social media today. And I guess just to let, let listeners know, the Card Authority podcast is really for collectors of all levels. Myself, who's a little bit of a hobby collector, and then yourself, that is an, more of an expert and a long-term collector. And we're hoping that we can cater for all different types of collectors and really help educate and also have a few laughs at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't necessarily consider myself any form of expert collector. Um, you know, I certainly have, have got into the hobby over the last three years and uh, tried to really educate myself throughout that period. But um, yeah, I, I'm a collector and I'm very interested in how the whole hobby sort of operates and how the marketplace functions and the little micro economy that is cards. And uh, as you said, you're uh, relatively new on the scene in uh, in collector's terms and it's uh it's been impressive to see how you've picked everything up as well. So I think uh, between us, we can uh, bring some really great conversation and uh, great, great uh, knowledge, I suppose, and experiences from both our different perspectives to everyone. And of course, be able to engage with all those other people within the collector's community as well. And also what's becoming the bigger marketplace that is cards. That's right, AJ. And look, again, we want to have a little bit of fun here, but also there's a lot of people that perhaps have only just got into cards over the last couple of months. There's been a huge boom due to COVID-19. People have been stuck at home. They've been looking things to do. Only recently, we just had sport back on TV and everyone has got absolutely crazy over AFL cards. So you mentioned you've been collecting for a couple of years, AJ. What do you collect, mate? And uh, what's your passion? So, um, okay, so my collection, I, I collect predominantly AFL cards. Well, we, we in this household, we certainly collect AFL cards. Um, the boom, just to, to step back a second, the boom is absolutely going on right now. There's no doubt about it. It's been well publicized. There is a global trading card boom going on right now. Um, and that's trickled all the way through to our domestic market when it comes to AFL cards here as well. And uh, as you said, COVID has, has kicked in and really accelerated what was already going on. Um, I entered the hobby roughly about three years ago. Uh, funnily enough, I, I'm, you know, I'm 36 years of age now, so I was a kid of the 80s and early 90s, and I lived through that when my childhood, that golden era of cards but also the big bust of sports trading cards and especially NBA cards throughout that period. Um, but that was the era, era of the Jordan rookie card and the Magic Johnson, the Larry Bird cards and all of that sort of stuff. So I uh, was full on into that when I was, uh, I was younger and um, 
at one point, I've got two, two older brothers as well. And at one point when I was probably uh, 12 or 13 years old and my brothers were, were, you know, 15 and 17 years old, um, my father was involved with uh, a place called the Croydon Market in Melbourne. So, and when we were kids, we used to get up with my dad at three o'clock on a Sunday morning and drive with him to the Croydon Market. And whilst he would be there for work or business related matters, uh, my brothers and I would be setting up a stall uh, downstairs on the market floor and we used to trade cards. And my father used to travel overseas a lot. My, both my parents used to travel to America several times a year um, for business. And my father always used to bring back sealed boxes of NBA cards. So we would awesome. bust open all the awesome. cards. Yeah, we'd, we'd bust them open and we'd take them to the market on a Sunday. And then we'd set, you know, we had a label gun that we got from this is pre-office works days, you know, got a, late, a little label gun. We used to do the prices. We used to look at the Beckett. We'd have the latest Beckett every week. You could buy the Beckett. You get a subscription in Australia for the Beckett. And that's how you used to price cards and things have changed, obviously. But uh, so we did that back then. And then cards died off. And in my late, by my late teens, I was gone from cards. I'd never really heavily collected AFL back then. I always had AFL cards and stickers you trade with kids, but that was done and dusted. Um, and now basically what got me back into it is about three years ago, my then three-year-old, now six-year-old, who's my oldest of three boys, um, was starting to get into footy. And I like the idea of getting some packets of footy cards one day. So we got some packets of cards and his friends were getting packets of cards and then the kids were getting into cards, but it was very much the team coach product. Um, and we'll talk probably a little bit later about the, the various manufacturers in the market and the different types of products. But there is a product called Team Coach that is more targeted uh, at kids and it's got uh, gaming and interaction related activity with the cards themselves and probably just a bit more colourful and a bit a bit uh, a bit more targeted at, at a more a more specific demographic in that sense. Um, so basically, I'd spent a lot of time and money buying. I went from packets to boxes and boxes and more boxes, trying to help my kids complete this set. And we got very close to doing a full uh, a full master set, uh, which we'll talk about later as well. And uh, and I got to a point where there was just gaps in the set. No matter how many packets or how many boxes of these cards we would buy we still couldn't get these, you know, the, the 10 or 15 cards that we needed out of the 800 total cards. So I ended up uh, jumping online. I had a look on eBay as my first first port of call was eBay. Yep, so cool, there's single cards. You can buy cards off eBay, fantastic. And I was on Facebook and I thought, you know what, maybe I'll just have a look if there's any hobby pages on Facebook. Punched it in, just looked up like AFL trading cards and wow, I, I found that there was this entire subculture that existed now in the digital realm that was exactly what it was during my childhood in that sense of, you know, you used to go to the market to buy cards, sell cards, trade cards, interact with people, have that human interaction, talk about cards. For those of us who collected cards at any point in time when we were younger, you would recall like going and those experiences, you would spend hours and hours and hours at your local card shop or at the market or whatever it may be. Now that is transferred in the age of technology. It's transferred onto the internet and where that is found is very much in social media. Um, you know, there's another website, Ozcard Trader, which was the original forum and platform. Um, and that was pre sort of the pop pre Facebook and social media becoming popular. Um, but as that transition started to take place from standard website based uh, based and traditional outlets or forums, uh, we'll call them, um, social media started to get a stranglehold and that's where people started to communicate. So on Facebook, I started finding all these both public and private groups to buy, sell and trade cards. 
um, and you interact with people basically using, you know, you talk to people online in a, in a public space and then you interact via PayPal transactions for the most part, but it's very much a relationship that needs to be built on trust. Absolutely. And look, it's funny you talk about that. And I guess in, you know, my early days, I was very similar. I, I sort of got involved in the very early nineties and we would head down on the tram after going to school and there was a a store in Hawthorne called heaven. And every day you would rock up there at three 30, you'd dump your school bags outside because you weren't allowed to take bags inside. We'd all rush to get the new Beckett, you know, they were all trash cards that we had. There was nothing really you know, awesome, but you'd sit there and swap and play and, you know, come home with a whole heap of cards and sort of similar to you, you get a little bit older and you start getting distracted with girls and doing all sorts of other things and, you know, cards fall out of their way. But, you know, again, this uh, re-energizing of the community for not only in Australia, but worldwide, it just seems to have hooked in so many people. And funny enough, you mentioned about your three-year-old, I've got a three-year-old at home as well. And, um, very early on to this, you know, second part of this journey for me. Same thing. I was sorting out some cards on the desk and he wanted to come in and play and touch with them. I'm like, all right, I'll go and buy a couple of packets of team coach and a few other footy styles from select. And, you know, he loves it. He walks around, you know, dusty and Jack Rewald and all these sorts of things. And it, it's a really fun experience to do with your kids you know, he certainly doesn't yeah. get to touch the inserts. They're there for daddy. But, you know, all the other cards, we've got cards and packets and sleeves all over the place. So it's, yeah. uh, it's and, a really and, fun And that's journey. what it becomes. Yeah, it becomes all-consuming, doesn't it? It becomes very consuming. And, and that's the thing. Like, you know, I jumped in to find some team coach cards and I certainly found those few cards that I needed that were only a dollar a pop sort of cards or whatever. Um, and then the next thing you know, uh, a whole new world opened to me. I did a transaction with a guy um, and this was one of my first or second things that I was buying. I was buying team coach cards and I said, oh, well, where are you based? It says, you're, you know, you're in Melbourne. And he said, where he was. I said, oh, I'll just drive that. Can I just drive to you? I'll come with my son and I'll come pick up the cards. You don't need to send them. It's all good. I didn't even know how things got sent like at that point in time. You know, this is very like first couple of days involved. And uh, yeah, I went to his house and uh, I met this guy and I grabbed these cards. And then he said to me, he's like, oh, you know, do you collect select footy stars? I said, What's that? And he opened my eyes to a whole new world. And then uh, I was just from there, I was hooked. And then it became a situation of, okay, well, now we've completed this team coach set for my son hey, why don't we collect the footy stars, the alternate manufacturer, the other the other brand, and we started doing that set. And then I started to discover within that set, there was cards worth more than just a dollar or two dollars. There were cards that were serious cards. They were finite objects. You know, they were limited. They had much higher value. And uh, yeah, I, I really got hooked on it. And then over a period of time, I started to collect different things. So initially, I wanted to do a full series master set of, uh, of footy stars, which is a series one base level series, $3 a packet type of product. Um, re, you know, not, not easy to complete, but not super difficult and not super expensive. You can get it done. And, um, you know, I got that done really quickly. I went really hard, got it done really quickly online. A lot of transactions, a lot of buying cards off people, a lot of trading cards that we had got in packets and whatnot. And, um, yeah, then, then I got to the end of that and I was like, okay, what do I do now? And uh, I started 
I, I go for St Kilda. We're mad St Kilda supporters, multi-generational St Kilda supporters, membership day I was born, my kids' memberships the day they yeah. were born, family tradition type stuff. And I thought, you know what? Well, we love Saints and we're also coming into this new era and period of Saints where we've had a bit of a lull for a few years. We had a huge period, you know, from 2005 to 2011, 2012, and then it's just been been pretty horrific. But now we were recruiting some nice, some good young draft picks and stuff was looking solid. And my son was getting me back at, right into St Kilda and into footy as well, um, which I'd been pretty disjointed with for a few years there. And as a result, we decided, okay, we're going to start, we're going to collect a few St Kilda cards. Then the, the whole key to card collecting, it's not just about the cards and it's not just about the transaction. It's the process that's involved in it. It's and the, the human interaction, yeah, the chase, yeah. the chase, but also the, the human interaction and the social aspect to it as well. The fact that you have something in common with someone else, and w- you're still somewhat uh, that you're part of a group that's still like a minority, and as a result of that, the people involved in it are generally very passionate about it and very giving in terms of their knowledge, and the, and they've got that wealth of knowledge and that wealth of experience as well. So to me. It's like I've made so many friends within the card community that's all based online as an online interaction. Like I've met several people in, in a physical sense, but for the most part, there's this incredible community of people who know each other extraordinarily well, but they're from all different parts of the country. And what they have, and they're from all different walks of life, and what they have in common with each other is their interest interest in trading cards, AFL cards, sports trading cards, whatever it may be, um, and and that becomes part of it. So, what I was sort of getting at is that so getting to know people and transacting with people, but a transaction not being as simple as just how much agree, disagree, negotiation, done, transaction, done. There's a process involved. You talk to each other. What do you collect? What do you have? What are you looking for? All these sorts of stuff. And that then opens the door to further conversation. And what it led for to me was every transaction I did, I took away a piece of knowledge from that or a piece of advice from someone from that. And that started to form what my intent would be in terms of collecting. I was at a point where I'd started to put a lot of money. I'd put a fair bit of money into it. And I thought, you know what? If I'm putting money into this, I should at least work towards something here and do it with some sort of ambition behind me as well. Um, And ultimately, it led me to the path of where I'm at at the moment, where I would define my, in terms of a collector, I'd define myself as I am a St Kilda master set collector, which means I need to obtain, I need to attain one of every single St Kilda card ever produced and have that in a set, which is what, what a master set is. Um, and then on top of being a St Kilda master set collector, I also do what some would call bulk collecting or hoarding or multiples of a variety <laughs> of different types of cards and players. I think, you're, um, and I think certainly... you're, you're playing that down, AJ, a little bit. Yeah, look, they're, 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 look there's, controver- <laughs> there's controversial, there's mixed, not controversial, there's mixed views. There's mixed views about uh, people doing multiples of cards. But from my perspective, like trading cards are trading cards. Everyone has equal opportunity to get a card. It's uh, I don't like the idea of, looking down upon someone because they have more than one of something. Um, and for me, basically the, the players that my son Dylan and now also my, my other son Elliot. So Dylan is six, just turned six. And my other son, one of my middle son Elliot has just turned four and he's starting to get into footy, but it's very much from Dylan's perspective, the players that Dylan loves 
are the players that that we now PC. And what PC means, if you ever hear or see someone say use the term PC, it's personal collect or personal collection. So it's it's what you do for your you know. A lot of people collect in different ways, but they also then have their personal collection. So people may have something where they're collecting something, but eventually it gets turned over and it gets sold. Their personal collection is something that they have intent in holding on to, uh, probably from a long a long term perspective. And as a result, those cards won't get turned over as quickly, or, or really ever, or whatever it may be. So we we I decided actively to start PCing the cards that my, my kids love and the, car, the the players that my kids love and the ones that I do as well. So for me, for instance, with St Kilda, we PC, you know, Dylan's favourite player is Jack Steele. So he's like the top of our PC. So on that basis, I look for cards from Jack Steele and I do multiples of them. Um, and whether that's a $3 insert card or that's a $100 signature card or whatever it may be, um, we try and do multiples and I try and get really specific numbers, low numbers and jumper numbers, his jersey numbers and zero ones and things like that as well. Um, you know, Max King is another one that's widely known that I PC Max King. Jack, Jack Billings is another one. A recent one that I've started PC in the last 12 months is Hunter Clark from St Kilda as well. So, yeah. That's basically me and my collecting. So at the moment, master setting plus do multiples of certain cards and I target very specific numbers. Um, yeah. So yeah. What, what about you, And give, give us a bit of an insight about yourself. Well, look, <laughs> I guess I'm a little bit different. I'm certainly not quite as obsessive, but then again, some would say maybe I am. Um, I guess, look, I'm a Richmond supporter and as you will be very aware, being a Richmond supporter and being a St Kilda supporter, it's a whole different level of collecting, basically on a financial level and also a supporter, a supporter base level. There are yeah. tons of people out there that collect Richmond cards. Um, and as my PC is Dustin Martin, which again is a, another fairly popular player and in high demand. So a card that two comparable cards of a Jack Steele versus a Dustin Martin, well, you're probably buying three Jack Steele cards for every one Dustin Martin card that yeah. is completely... Jack, Jack Steele's getting expensive, though, now. <laughs> he, ain't no, he, ain't no, he ain't no Dusty, though. So, um, There's no Dusty yet. No. So, and look, it's, um, it's, it's fun. And as you sort of said, I sort of got back into it and I realised very early on that... Well, actually, to be fair, it took me probably a couple of months to realise what I wanted to collect. I was going in a lot of breaks and buying a lot of boxes and cases. And we'll talk about all those different things later, but I was just accumulating and accumulating and accumulating cards. And you find after you accumulate a lot of cards for a little while over just a short period, you get a lot of stuff that you love, you like, and you just is just junk or trash or, and just because it's junk or trash to me doesn't mean that it might not be someone else's PC or it might be something that they're trying to chase for a set. So I've certainly found as I worked out that I wanted to collect Richmond and I wanted to collect Dusty Martin, and I've got a, a little bit of a, a passion for a certain type of card, a showstopper card of the select series. Once I realized that I wanted to chase those sorts of cards, A, I realized how much it was going to cost me, but two, that I needed to go and move on a lot of those other cards that I had to not only build the relationships like you discussed, but also I was able to help people who then in turn helped me 
get some of the cards I needed from the exact same process that you said, you would get to know somebody, you would find out what they'd like and you'd be like, Oh, hang on a sec. I've got one of those for you. or I've got that set for you. And then, you know, in return, they're like, well, what can I help you with? And you'd be like, well, <laughs> got any dusties? And nine times out of 10, they laugh at you. Um, but occasionally yeah. you come across someone that goes, well, yeah, I do actually have two of a certain card. You know, do you want to give me one of your kids for it? And I would say, well, <laughs> it would be close to that. And then you'd work out a price and, you know, I would get another dusty card in my collection. Yeah. So the chase and working out what you actually want to collect is all part of the process of rediscovering your passion for this industry. Um, but it's exciting. It's fun. And, you know, as you mentioned, there's a, a couple of different um, types of cards such as team coach and select that are out there in the moment. And we're on the eve of a, another select release in a couple of weeks, which we'll certainly talk about in future episodes but it's really exciting thinking about how you're either going to expand your PC that you have or maybe chase some different things or look to get some other sets or perhaps it's a golden opportunity to fill some holes that you haven't been able to fill because cards suddenly come back on the market as these new series come out. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to uh, touch really quickly on a few things that you just said, because I actually think it's really important for the listeners because they're going to be able to get a grasp and an understanding of, uh, of, of some of the things that we look at, I suppose, when we're collecting, but also that some of the things to keep in mind. Um, the first one was the fact that Richmond Tigers cards are significantly higher in value and cost. Now, at the end of the day, a value of an object such as a trading card or any, any form of collectible or any form of object that is transacted or, or traded, it's all based on supply and demand. There's sure. people that are, you know, people want to sell for a certain amount and people are prepared to pay a certain amount and either party's got to budge. And if no party budges, then it pressures it either up or down. That's what's going to happen. Now it's, it's everyone that it collects trading cards knows there are tiers within AFL in terms of the value of cards. Um, or, or the broad spectrum benchmark value of cards. People know that Tigers cards and Collingwood cards are more expensive than everything else. Then generally there's another tier that slightly below that, which is sort of Hawthorne, Essendon, Carlton sort of fits into. Now, the tier below Richmond and Collingwood is seems to be shifting at the moment. And the, over a period of time, it's cyclical and it constantly moves around. But a lot of people can't seem to understand why Tigers and Collingwood are actually more expensive than everything else. And quite simply, what it actually comes down to is these are trading cards for sports teams. So it's a very particular type of person that's going to collect cards. It's someone who is into that sport itself, unless they are a speculator, an investor, a trader, or whatever it is. If they are a collector, they are collecting because it's a team that they are somewhat invested in in some way, shape, or form. So as a result of that, you can see the correlations between the size of supporter bases of football clubs and sporting teams, the success of those teams within their sport themselves, and then the value of their cards and the amount of people that collect their cards. Collingwood and Richmond cards are more expensive, quite simply because there are more people that collect them. There's more people that collect them because they have more people, more members and more supporters of their actual sporting clubs. When you couple that with the long-term success that those clubs have had, and then also the, the modern era success they have, that's what drives up the value and the demand on AFL cards at a very basic level. 
that is the ground level of where of where demand is derived and um you know i'm conscious that before i came into trading cards the bulldogs their trading cards for a significant period of time for over a decade had not been worth much money but as soon as they had success the value of their cards went up very, very significantly because all of a sudden those really proud supporters who were so so emotionally invested in their football club and passionate, wanted, passionate. That, and passionate and passionate wanted to celebrate in another way. And it wasn't just getting a jersey and buying a hoodie or a jumper or getting a framed jersey or a game football or a signed something. It moved into the trading card realm. And what's really interesting is a lot of people look at it and go, wow, this is adults playing with cardboard, uh, adults spending serious money on cardboard. Well, the reality of it is the equivalent adults are spending money on artwork, on glassware, on other collectible things, which they're not using. They're not phys- it's not part of the a physical interaction that they need to get on with their everyday life. It's something they collect. It's something that has a value at a different level to them but it also has a perceived financial value. And that's what a lot of people forget is when they judge relating to cardboard and and people collecting trading cards, other people judge when they hear what you've spent time doing and what you've spent your money doing. But then you start to talk to them about the values and the increases in value and the way the market operates in monetary terms. It starts to turn things on its head. And it's really interesting that the boom that we're going through at the moment is very indicative of a, of a real shift in mindset. You have a shift in mindset of people who were being very judgmental about trading cards, even 12 months ago, who have now looking at it as, wow, I'm seeing and hearing so much about this. How do I participate in it as well? So it's a really interesting time at the moment. Um, but yeah, getting back to it, the values are very much determined based on performance of clubs, supporters of uh, supporter levels, and then performance of players. Good performing players, Brownlow winners, people like Dusty Martin, they're just not successful. Their success on the field leads to cult in interaction, basically. People love those players. And the more success they have, the more people want to want to collect that. Not everyone can collect an entire team or want to collect an entire team. So a Richmond person, for example, they may make a decision, well, I don't want to do a full team set like what Adam does for St Kilda, but I love Dusty Martin or I love Rance or I love Cochin or whatever it is. And that's what they really specifically go for. The other couple of things, one more thing, another thing I want to touch on with respect to what you said, and I'm going to let you talk here, AJ, don't worry about that, is um, <laughs> you said what you collect and you're collecting parameters, I would call them, and you said that you, you're, you're a dusty man and you're obviously collecting some showstoppers or you love the showstoppers, and, but, but you're very much focused on dusty cards and whatnot. I would say to you, you are early days here, mate. You're only several months in and what you collect now will not be the same as what you collect even over the course and the journey of this podcast that we're going to take our listeners on here and mark my words, when we come to the end, we're going to go all the way back and review this first episode and it's going to blow your mind as to what you're collecting then, but oh, what you will be collecting now in the future to, to what you were collecting then, which is going to be the past of what is today. Um, I think it's really, it evolves a lot. And I think a lot of it comes down to how, how, um, how invested you are in it, not just financially, but with your time and your intent for the chase. And that's part of the thing for me is a lot of it's about the chase. It's about setting a goal, 
what it takes to get to that goal and the challenges it presents and then achieving that and then moving on to the next one. But it gets to a point where if you go too hard, too fast, you achieve those goals. And what we're talking about here is you get too many cards too quickly and then there's nothing else to chase anymore, but you still need it. You need that. You, you need the chase. <laughs> you, it's, it's like anything else. We have, we're having a chemical reaction in our brain. The endorphins are kicking. We're getting a reaction like we would get out of a lot of other things. And, and that's the reality. We need something to chase. So for me, as much as what I collect now is what I collect now, who knows in 12 months time, I might not just be a team set collector. I could be a full scale master set collector, or I could be a subset collector for those who don't know what a subset collector is. Uh, every, so, so you have a series of cards and within that series of cards, the overall cards make an entire set, but within that set, there are subsets. Subsets are the certain types of categories of cards or the variations. So you might have draft pick signatures, for example, which is coming up in the new dominant series. So there are people out there, that will collect draft pick signature sets. So you could go back through time from 2020 all the way back to 1999 or 98 when they first introduced the DP draft pick signature cards. And you'll find that there are people that every year have collected just that subset of cards all the way through. So uh, that, my friends, is, uh, is a subset. And then the last thing I wanted to say before I pass it right back over to AJ, and I am conscious about how much I'm talking here, mate. Hmm. But uh, I did want to say that I think one of the really big drivers and the big differences now for people such as ourselves, and when I say ourselves, I'm talking adults and ultimately anyone over the age of 18, but I think it's more so people probably more so in the, uh, over the age of 25 or over the age of 30 who are at a point in life where they have some sort of level of stability. And I suppose more maybe financial stability as well by that point. And as a result, the feeling when you were a kid, but you couldn't achieve something is now different because everything's within your grasp because you have the maturity and the disposable income and the capacity and the means to be able to get something now. So when you were a kid, there was that signature card or that redemption card that was unreachable. It was unattainable. It was not a reality. And the difference is now we are old enough to be able to make a decision on our own and have the financial capacity and make that financial decision to, to create that money to go and buy that $500 card. If we want it now, it's not something we're grasping at that we'll never get. It's something that's actually is attainable. So I think that's the really big critical factor is that, or well, as much as we are grown ups, we're also take away the, the value and investment side of things. We are very much reliving our own childhoods. And I think the whole thing with the boom taking place now, sure, it's accelerated by the coronavirus and all the lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. But the reality is we started this boom probably 12 to 18 months ago and it is cyclical. It's because we are part of a generation or generations that lived through that really amazing golden era of trading cards. And unfortunately, the, the circumstances of society and the global marketplace haven't existed until the last couple of years to see that really come back and boom. And as a result, it's these two, you know, it's skipped a couple of generations. There's been a decade or two where cards were really flat and now it's really coming back with huge steam behind it. Back over to you, my man. At, well, look, absolutely. And I guess, look, you've you've unpacked a fair bit of what I sort of did say and you're absolutely spot on. And I, you know, talking about the collecting and how that evolves in different people, 
you're, you're right. It took me a little while to find out what I wanted to collect. I then set some goals. I was, you know, I'm fortunate enough in my position that I was able to chase some of those goals down, as you mentioned. Um, but sometimes it's not as simple as just having the money to be able to go and buy that card you want. Sometimes those cards are not available. And, you know, a personal story for me, and as you know this very well, I was after this Dustin Martin green parallel card. Now, there was... So, un- can I, I'm just going to... Can I cut you off for one second here? Because I think it's really important, actually, AJ. When you said the cards just aren't available, can you just explain that in a bit of detail to the listeners that how, when someone's going to say, well, how can a card not be available? I see that there is hundreds of thousands of packets. There's millions of physical cards. When you say a card's not... A, it's not available, How? Is it limited? Do they, you know, can, can you just maybe give us a bit of insight here as to what yeah, sure. makes a card finite? Why, you know, are there cards that are limited and, and what represents that limitation on that quantity? So there was only 60 of these cards made. So they're, they're numbered um, one to 60, but being Richmond and being Dustin Martin, there are lots of people that got these cards very early on when they were released and they were either put in personal collections or they were sold quickly to other people that had personal collections and they just weren't available on the market. And I hunted around for months trying to get this one card, which probably, you know, is a $150 to $200 card in reality. Um, it's maybe a little bit more these days. Um, but I mean, if someone had come and offered one to me in the early stages for $500, I probably would have bought it because of the pain and the stress that it took me trying to find it. You know, I had numerous conversations with you and numerous conversations with people in the industry. I had literally hundreds of people looking for this card for me and either people had one and didn't want to tell me that they had one because they wanted to keep it themselves or they just, you just couldn't get one. As soon as one would pop up, it would get snapped out on eBay really quickly they were impossible. Lucky enough, some moons aligned and I happened to acquire one um, at a relatively reasonable price. Um, and it was by pure chance. It was a, a guy that had some cards that he was looking, you know, looking to sell for his son. His son had pulled it out of a random box they bought. It just happened, you know, a, a friend of mine heard that he was selling it. I got pulled into a group conversation to be honest, I thought it was a scam for the first little while, but you know, I tried to take as many precautions as I could. I paid my money, held my breath, and um, a week later, it arrived in my mailbox, and it was a very, very happy and satisfying day. Um, but yeah, these cards sometimes are just really hard to get for a lot of reasons. All the cards are in theory out in circulation. There are sixty green Dustin Martins floating out there. But I don't know whether or not someone is, you know, been hoarding them or multi-set collecting or whatever it might be and might have 20 of them or they're sitting on people's shelves or they've been thrown in the bin. Who knows? But there's only 60 of them. So when you, yeah. you know, when you chase them and I called it chasing the unicorn, um, you know, which ironically we'll talk about a little bit later in the show, that, you know, unicorn chasing and trying to get cards sometimes is not so much about having the money of being able to buy them 
It's just being in the right place at the right time and hopefully having other community members out there to help you and let you know that that card has popped up. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's uh, that's the big thing. Um, you, you can't, because these cards are so limited and then over the years, they become harder and harder to find as they, as you said, they get locked away in collections, but also a lot of them, you know, things can get damaged or they get found and dismissed. So they fall out of circulation as well. Um, and it's really funny because, you, yeah, people can't just have an expectation or you come into it with an expectation. You're like, well, if I've got deep pockets, whatever, I can just come and that card I want, I'll get it right now. No, sorry, sir. It doesn't work like that. That card doesn't exist right now. And uh, for me, it's funny because for you, the unicorn thing is really critical, especially at the moment. You're a, you're a player collector at the moment. You are PCing Dusty Martin. So my expectation is that on an ongoing basis, your unicorn is going to be a Dusty Martin card that continues to upgrade higher and higher. So as you progressively get the best, the, the most sought after and rarest ones, and the next one gets released, that's even rarer or even bigger, you, you'll continue to, uh, to reapply, reassess them and, and that becomes your unicorn moving forward. For me, I'm in an interesting situation where I, because I'm master setting, I have a list of a huge amount of cards. I'm going to tell you actually of uh, how many cards, like every card that I need is in a, is in a list. It's in a, a spreadsheet. I've got a list of every insert and every parallel. So I can tell you, so at the moment for St Kilda from 1993 to 2020, this is actually till 2019, there are 748 St Kilda insert cards. Wow. And that's everything from a base level insert through to a signature, a redemption. This could be cards that there are thousands printed of, or it could be a card that there's only 10 in existence and 10 made. So there's 748 of those insert cards. I've currently got 708 of them, which is a 94.65%. I only know this because I'm looking at it on the screen behind the camera, behind the camera at the moment. But my whole thing is that my chase is whatever I still need. So my unicorn at the moment, what have I got? I've got exactly 40 unicorns at the moment, but some of those unicorns are literally worth $1 and I haven't found them in 18 months. I cannot find them anywhere. And some of those unicorns haven't popped up yet or they may have popped up yet, but I don't want to pay 2000 bucks a unit for them, which is what they're going to cost me to get. Now, there are many cards and this is on, on almost a weekly basis that I've been searching for for 12 months or 18 months that literally have not turned up on the market, whether it be on Facebook or on eBay or Gumtree or any other on Ozcard Trader or on any other form of marketplace. But then bang, out of the blue, they just turn up and you have to take those opportunities as well. Now, you and I, based on our conversations and we know each other pretty well, we differ in the sense that I'm probably more patient with my card collecting. Mm -hmm. um, and and, I, and I, think, I, I think that's, yeah, that, that's right. And I think that's probably come with a little bit of, time and experience as well. When I started, I was much more gung-ho in, in the respect that I just had to have the card so I would pay what was required, albeit it was a lot cheaper because it was St Kilda and we were right in the fucking pits. Sorry about the language, but we were, it doesn't, it's a podcast, who cares? We were right in the pits in terms of St Kilda's alter, being at an all-time low sort of two to three years ago when I first got into it. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I was fortunate in that, in that case that people were just fucking giving away St Kilda cards basically when I came into it. And um, what's happened is, some of these older cards and these older signature cards are just so hard to find, but then, yeah, they, they pop up on the marketplace 
and you've got to take your opportunity, but there are ones, you know, there's a particular card at the moment that is one of the top cards I need in my set. And it's definitely would be one of the best and most valuable cards in the set. However, there's only been one available in the whole time I'm collecting and it's been $1,799. And I, as the buyer, I don't feel that the card is currently worth that much money. And I'm confident in my position that it's not worth that much money that I don't believe other people would buy the card either. So as a result, I've been in like an 18 month stalemate basically whereby I'm waiting for another one to pop up at a lower price or I need that seller to bring down what his price is in order for us to, to execute a deal. So my, my position has always been, I'll continue to wait and I'll keep waiting and, and, and wait it out and hope that it pops up on the market at a price that I'm prepared to pay. Um, and that I think is fair and reasonable. Now, in some instances you lose out, the card gets sold, you then can't get it. And you can see that that is the new benchmark value. If someone else paid the 1799, then it's going to encourage other people moving forward to pay $17.99. So if one comes up again for $17.99, I probably need to get it so I don't have the gap in my set. With all that said, there's cards I've held out for 18 months where I've seen one of them that was only $7.99 on eBay. And I ended up finding after 18 months waiting, two in a week turned up at $300 each. So I ended up with two for the two and it cost me less than what one simply because I waited. But there are horror, horror stories. If you miss something, you may never come up again. You may be waiting 10 years. That's what I've been told. So, yeah, it can go both ways there. Yeah, and it's the fine line. It all depends on why and what your motives are for collecting. You know, if you're collecting with just pure passion and you don't care about the money and it's just a hobby and you want to get it, sweet. Go and spend what you can. When you see it, grab it. I guess I'm probably turning a little bit the other direction where I'm trying to listen to you a little bit more and be a little bit more patient. And I have been a little bit more patient on some recent adventures that I'm trying to chase things. Um, but it's hard. It's hard when, um, you know, you've wanted something for, for a, a lengthy period of time. You feel like you've searched heaven and earth for it. And then it appears I mean, sometimes, you know, and again, I was lucky with the current unicorn or, you know, that I've now caught that I was able to get it and it wasn't too painful. So I guess that's something that everyone needs to work through in their own process. Um, you know, also, if you're identifying value, as you spoke, if you're looking to collect things to potentially sell down the track or invest, and you think it's a worthwhile investment to pay a little bit over for it now to have it knowing full well that you're going to be able to get a bigger return for it later. Well, that's a different yeah. story. And I think the example yeah. you said at the top of the show about the guy in America who paid $400,000 for a card, people said he was an idiot. Why would you spend that much on a card? And at the time he said, this card will break all records down the track when I sell it. Yeah. Based on performance, yeah. yeah, that's right. And, and the, it was, a, you know, it was a, a signature rookie card with a, a, its speculative and its value. So that's the other thing about cards; they're not just valued based on the the uh, the quantity that, that that are available in the marketplace. It's also speculative based on future performance of a player. You know, you look at it in the NBA at the moment. Zion Williamson. We're talking about a, a rookie crop and a rookie class has come through in the nineteen twenty year 
that they're saying is generational and it's going to produce some once in a generation superstars. Um, also, the, you know, the 18, 19 year as well. So between, you know, your players like your Luka Doncic and your Trey Young and then the new ones like your Zion Williamson and your Ja Morantz, they're talking about these guys, if they don't get injured and they reach their potential, they've got, they could be the next Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James. So cards that early on that are only worth a few dollars, literally a couple of dollars, tens of dollars, maybe hundreds of dollars, these are the cards that could be worth tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, all depending on what happens with the careers of these people and these players. And I think um, NBA is probably something we'll definitely get into over a couple of episodes down the track. And I think we'll probably get, get some people on board as well who real de- really deal heavily in that market to talk about it. Um, I dabbled in it a bit this year and I got really, really lucky. Um, we'll talk about that another time, but I ended up with uh, a Ja Morant rookie card that's been graded as a perfect black label 10, of which there's only 14 in the world at that quality. And it's amazing in NBA and it doesn't apply to AFL, but the quality of a card in NBA, when you get it certified and graded, has a huge impact on the card. Now, I'll just go into it really quickly, but we'll talk about it more extensively in an NBA episode. But I got a card that I sent it off to get B graded. When I sent it off to be graded, it was worth 30 to $50 raw. Everything went up whilst the card was away getting graded. It got delayed. It came back. When it came back, it should have been, it, by the time it came back, raw, it was worth 150 to 200. So it had sort of doubled or tripled in raw form. If it graded really well, like a 9.5, then it would have been worth like 300 to 400 dollars or 300 to 500 dollars. If it graded as a 10, it would have been worth like 800 or 900 dollars, I believe. But because it graded this perfect score, it went from literally being a $150 or $200 card to being worth thousands and thousands of dollars. But when I sent it off, it was only worth $30. So it's quite an amazing thing. And we'll talk about it in depth in another episode. But it's, it's quite amazing that, that the financial side of cards is really significant. And the, the part of that that does apply to AFL and specific to the market that we're more invested in and more interested in is the fact that these cards do have value to them. And they have transaction-based value and they fluctuate based on a variety of different factors. And there isn't just people who are there to collect cards. People make a living out of trading cards in all different ways now. So people have a consideration that they buy cards to resell cards and make a profit. But not every card's going to be profitable. So people will do it in different ways. You might have an investor that comes along and just wants to plonk a large sum of money into a very small amount of one or more cards. But then you have someone else that wants to buy a variety of different speculative stuff over a very specific period of time with the intent of turning it over at a certain trigger point and a certain date. And they know that a percentage of those players will succeed and the cards will go up by X amount but a bunch won't as well and they're going to fall by the wayside and they'll be worth nothing. And ultimately trading cards and with the boom that's going on at the moment, and it's, it's well in there with AFL as well. It's changing and it's evolving and it's no longer just a collector's game. It's an investor's game. It's a speculator's game. There is all sorts of people with all varying different backgrounds and amounts of money and capital that they're putting into this market 
and it's changing things at the moment and it changes things for the better and for the worse. But to me, I actually look at the, the, the big external or the broad interest, we'll call it in sports trading cards at the moment, although it may push up the price or make things a bit more difficult for traditional collectors in terms of where things have been for the last two decades, what it's actually doing is really cleaning up the marketplace as well. And it's taking it from just being a hobby with uh, what you would almost call maybe a, a somewhat of a cowboy culture to something where there are people who ha have a, a lot invested in it. What do you think? Well, I think, look, you know, we could probably do a whole episode talking about the commercial side of cards. And I guess there is so much to unpack about, you know, what are the different motives of the different players on the different aspects of the industry? Um, yeah. But I guess also too, that should not be seen as something that, you know, is something to be worried about if you just want to come and get involved and enjoy it and get in the process. There is yeah. in any industry, there is always going to be business and money involved in some fashion, you know, yeah. sometimes it helps. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it grows the space. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, we could talk for hours about the business of cards and the backside of the commercial things. But I think that the, the main thing for our listeners to remember is that, the hobby is pure. If you like collecting things and you're a fan and there's things you want to chase, don't let it be discouraged or don't be discouraged by the thought of, Oh, well that person's buying this for this and now I'm going to have to pay more for it. And, unfortunately, and that's, that's yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, that's just, that's business. It's, it's like someone that buys a house in a suburb that that suburb then goes up 10 years later and that house is 10 times the price. Everyone has yeah. heard stories of that of, Oh, I wish I bought that house at that time because now it's worth exactly. five times. You've you got know, to think about the now. Yeah. You've got to think about the yeah. now. That's right. And if yeah. your now is that you want to collect Dustin Martin cards, be careful, stay away because I want them all. But if you want to go <laughs> and collect Tom Mitchell or you want to go and collect Jack Steele or you want to go collect you know, Nat Fife or whoever it might be, do it. There's cards at all different levels and all different price points that you can thoroughly enjoy chasing. And and that I think is the beauty of cards as well. Like, if it was, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but like you're talking about with Dustin Martin, now you're going for big, small and everything in between. But the reality is if you're a 15 year old kid or you're a, a 50 year old or whatever, whatever you may be, you can choose what you want to target. If you want Dustin Martin cards or you want Richmond Tigers cards, but you don't want to spend an arm and a leg, there's plenty of great things that you can get that are suitable for your collections or Absolutely. things you can chase. And that's a great thing about cards. It's not just one thing to go for that is at one really high price point. There's things across the spectrum and it's very much that horses for courses situation. Yeah, there's, there's dollar cards or $2 cards and then there's $1,000 cards, you know? Yes, everyone wants a, a bigger boat or a bigger car, but you know you need to learn how to drive first. And yeah. I wouldn't suggest anyone coming into the hobby to suddenly go out and try to buy two thousand dollar Dustin Martin one of a kind signature cards or whatever it might be, because you're going to find that chase a very expensive and also very frustrating. You know, come yeah. in and find some passion for it find something that you enjoy. And for me, even though I'm a crazy Richmond supporter, it took me a little while to work out that I wanted to actually collect Richmond cards and wanted to collect Dustin yeah. Martin cards. So make sure you, you, 
you work for yourself and what motivates you to chase and collect. Um, again, it's like getting artwork or buying bottles of wine. You've got to find the wine that you like, which is then why you're going to co-collect it. You're not going to fill your cellar full of wine that tastes like shit that you're never going to want to drink. You want to collect yeah. things that you're going to be able to enjoy over time. And if it turns into something that you can make some money off or a more extended hobby, well, that's a, a fantastic bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, look, over the course of this series of podcasts, we're going to really be able to, able to delve into a lot of amazing topics and dedicate a, a lot of time to a lot of these different areas and different things as well. But um, as you said, I think the main thing is for, for people who are, who are starting to tune in and those who are, who are just sort of joining the hobby or interested in, in starting to get into the hobby, and also those who have been around for a long time, to remember there's something there for everyone. And everyone looks at it differently and there is a place in this hobby for every and this market and this sector and this industry, whatever we want to call it, there's a place for everyone. And I think every, you know, we really just need to embrace that and, and look at the fantastic, the fantastic place where, where it is at the moment and, and the climate that uh, of where sports trading cards are now, because the use of technology and machinery and equipment and design and everything that's going on now we are seeing some of the most incredible things created and um again what you were just saying about the value of cards and someone can go out and spend a dollar or they can spend two thousand dollars uh for those who are new to it and uh, are not familiar when it comes to afl cards and afl cards are very much a domestic market product just within australia yeah they get around the world to a few different places but this is where the primary primary stuff takes place um with AFL cards, if you want to come in and collect AFL cards, you can spend anywhere from $0.10 cents a card to $10,000. And $10,000, as far as I'm aware, that's the max price achieved for a card. And that was uh, last year, actually. That was only about nine months ago. Seven or actually about eight months ago. That was a uh, quad coach signature card and a zero one of only 25 made that had four signatures. And it wasn't just a card. It was a fold-out card that became a booklet. And yep. that, that's it. That, that, that's the marketplace. And people shouldn't be scared off. I know when it comes to NBA, you know, sometimes and other sports, we throw around the figures of, yeah, LeBron James rookie card sold a month ago for 1.8 million US and the baseball card sold a few hours ago for 4 million US dollars. It's, it's a little bit different. And if you want to get involved in that space, you certainly can. But if you want to be one of those people that just is interested in AFL or whatever it may be, and you want to just spend a couple of dollars, you can get a, you know, a lot of bang for your buck in that respect as well. So, and you can yeah. have fun. The most important is it's all, got, and that's what it's all fun. about. It, it, yeah, it's, it's a hobby. Absolutely. You know, if it, as again, if it turns into a business or something, you can make some money from fantastic, but this should be seen as a hobby or a pastime that you can actually enjoy. And, as we do, we do it with our kids and, um, you know, it's fun. It's enjoyable. That's, that's what it should be. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure, uh, we have people from various different mindsets, uh, tuning into this and, uh, yeah, I, I really look forward to, uh, to really delving into the hobby and the collecting side of things, as well as then being able to not only inform, but learn from experiences and, and, uh, you know, expose our audience to those experiences and the knowledge of ourselves and other people as well about what to look out for in terms of the investment side of cards and that business side of, of cards as well. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to a great, uh, a great season of, uh, of uh, the card authority here with AJ squared. 
Absolutely. And look, I guess this probably segues to a nice little session that, or segment that we'll finish the show off with, which I've kindly named Unicorn Chasing. So we're going to give the opportunity for people to reach out through our social platforms. If there's a unicorn you are trying to track down, we will certainly try to help. And um, we actually had a submission from a, a friend that, or a, a, a guy in the community is one of the, the real nice guys. And uh, I won't publicly out him at the moment, but what he's looking for and all you listeners out there, right? Let's see if we can track this unicorn down for him. So he's looking for a Ben McAvoy 001 engine room card from the current select prestige series. So that's a Ben McAvoy go. 001. Now people at home are probably going, Ben McAvoy, what the fuck? Well, it just happens to be a card that he's trying to do to complete something that he's trying to collect, his own personal collection. So it doesn't sound like a card and one you know, a card that it's not a Dustin Martin or anything like that. It's Ben Bloody McAvoy. But someone might have that in their folder or sitting in their desk and they're like, gee, I might be able to help this guy out. And that's what unicorn chasing is all about, is helping each other out in this great community. So and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to assume that he's probably got, that's part of a, a four card subset for the Hawks. Well, I would suggest so. I, you know, I don't want to give too many details away because you know, that's, that's up to him to, to, to say what he's actually collecting in his PC. But I think you'd probably be pretty close to it that, you know, again, it's a fairly unique card. I'm not sure if he's a Ben McAvoy fan or he's a 001 collector or I think what ben it might McAvoy's be. Jumper number, his jumper number is 01 as well. I'm pretty sure. It's that's a, is McAvoy 01? No, maybe know. I'm you're wrong. Testing me, you're testing me. There you go. Well, you know, yeah. But anyway, look. So everyone out there, all right. Um, obviously, feel free to get in touch with me or AJ and um, AJ and AJ, and um, through our social channels. If anyone can help us track that down, we might be able to work out a little bit of a, a prize, or you know, we might be able to help you find your unicorn that you need. So that's right. Unicorn chasing or unicorn hunting is going to be a regular segment on the Card Authority podcast. Um, and let's see if we can help people find some cards that they need. That's right. We want to help people get that unicorn and ride it into the sunset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, thank you, AJ, for your time tonight. Your insights have been great. And I'm sure over you, the coming AJ. weeks, um, we're going to, you know, hopefully have a few laughs and really help people enjoy this process of getting involved in what really is a fantastic hobby that, you know, both you and I love spending a lot of time in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's going to be an amazing few weeks ahead. And just uh, for the listeners, it's not going to be just our mugs and voices the entire time either. Hopefully, um, you know, we're both in isolation down in here in Victoria, but the beauty of technology means we're going to be able to engage with a lot of great people from, uh, from within the hobby as well and, and hear a lot about you guys and other people. Uh, as AJ said, love your feedback. If anyone's got any questions or anything that you guys want to talk about as well, just make sure you contact us through all the social channels. Details coming right up. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll push all those channels. Um, we'll get this out into all the things. And no doubt, if you're listening to it now, you've already found us. But um, yeah, let your friends know. And um, we'll be back very shortly for episode two of the Card Authority podcast. Thanks, AJ. Thanks, AJ.